of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, an Oscar race checkpoint news show catch-up for you, and I feel like playing the John Lennon song, War is Over. Uh, I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Yeah, the SAG-AFTRA strike has ended. They and the AMPTP have struck a deal. Uh, It's got to get voted on, but we're going to open the show with that, of course, and then we got a ton of nominations in this episode, Michael. This is a real, you know, legit... OG type of Oscar race checkpoint. We got the IFAs and the BIFAs, mm-hmm. and we got the HUMAs, <laughs> and we got the Grammys. And it's, it's all it's all hitting right now, which is fun. And then we're going to review like 47 new movies. So yeah. that'll be the end of the episode. Yeah, big, big catch up. Uh, no trailers in this one. We're going to catch up on trailers another time mm-hmm. uh, because there is plenty of news, like also Mike just told you, for us <laughs> to get through, and none bigger nor more important than the strike being over. Uh, so SAG AFTRA struck a deal with the AMPTP that was uh, across the wire late night. I want to say on the ninth, might have been the eighth. I don't know. Time is a flat circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I didn't have the time or, or, or the effort, frankly, to do a deep dive on the SAG resolution as I did on the WGA one, and also we're covering this story in a shorter time frame than we did with the WGA strike. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the information isn't as readily available as SAG-AFTRA's negotiating committee is staying mum on the intricate details until the union's national board approves the deal. So what I'm saying is sometimes the B-minus performances are what make the A-plus performances so special in the first place. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad you're uh, hyping Just up being your, honest. your previous A-plus performances. It's been a rough month. <laughs> it, it has been a rough month uh, for you, for certain. But I, I do I do appreciate the research you did do. And you did dive into what yeah. we got. And we, we do to. have some specs. I guess broad strokes is more of the, uh, you know, the way to frame this, I would say. But, yeah, I mean, the strike ended after 118 days. It's the longest in acting labor history. The new contract is, quote, unquote, worth more than $1 billion. And... Mm. That includes, again, quote-unquote, improved residuals, but you're going to get into that technicality in a few minutes. Also, protections for an actor's likeness against AI, which is very important. Rules regarding self-tape auditions. I don't think we get into that today, but you know we can check back on that. A minimums increase to 7%, which is 2% more than the WGA got. So that's that's good for the, for the SAG-AFTRA guild mm-hmm. there. And also a... I mean, I guess this is tied into the quote-unquote improved residuals portion, but a, quote, streaming participation bonus. Yeah, and to uh, Duncan Crabtree, Ireland, and Fran Drescher's credit, uh, first and foremost, probably to Katie Kilkenny's credit, who's been great covering this for The Hollywood Reporter uh, throughout, and she had Mm. separate interviews posted yesterday on the 9th with both Duncan Crabtree, Ireland, who uh, is the SAG-AFTRA Union's National Executive Director, and uh, Fran Drescher, who's the SAG-AFTRA President, obviously. Um, they they've been pretty 
forthright with what they can talk about in terms of both what they did gain and what they didn't gain. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's what we're going to try to focus on. Also, Mike just ran down a lot of the stuff they did gain. And Duncan Crabtree, Ireland, in that interview with Katie Kilkenny, uh, focused, for, focused, if I could speak, first and foremost on the long, drawn-out battle that was the AI protections. He shined some light on the fact that SAG seemed to win a right of consent over image, likeness, and voice performances as far as AI goes now and into the future. And if you remember, Mike, when we were talking about this, this to me was like the issue and SAG seems like they kind of backed that up that it had to be a non-starter. SAG had to walk away with a win on this and based on reports, this was also what the studios pushed back hardest against as even at the 11th hour, the studios needed to adjust the language and what was there, what they called quote fair, best and final offer with regards to AI and protections for actors. So good. I mean, if it comes out that, the, the actors won everything here. They have not only the right of refusal for their name, image, and likeness, but also they're to be compensated every time their name, image, and likeness is used by a studio, which is kind of what it sounds like may have happened here. Again, we don't have all the specifics, but that's a that's a huge win for the actors. It is a huge win. However, I still go back to this seeming more like a fundamental right. Like this should be sure, a fundamental sure. right that is uh, negotiated in the Supreme Court. Never mind collectively bargained between yeah. you know studios and actors. Like your likeness should be yours, and you should be compensated if technology reaches a new level where it could deepfake you for the purposes of profit or for the repurposes repurposing of your image or your at your, your performance as a, as let's just say a background actor. I mean, mm. I don't want like a Peter Jackson orc army, you know, being used <laughs> again and again and again for the With all, all recorded Sylvester time. Stallone's faces on them. Yeah, yeah. Like what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we thinking? Uh, studios. I, I could just see so many bad versions of this. Uh, you know, just uh, shot in f- every movie shot in front of a green screen from here to the you know all recorded time, and, and it's just it's it's just a bad deal. So yeah, I, I I don't want I don't want that future for us, and I certainly don't want holograms or mocap versions of our favorite actors being used for the rest of time without permission and compensation, and to just to limit that, Michael, isn't that? Hugely important and a, and a fundamental right, I would think. Well, if you're going to sit there and tell me this country has issues when it comes to fundamental rights, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to put up much resistance to you. But yeah, I mean, I obviously it sounds like something that should be, you know, a given. But you're dealing with corporations, you're dealing with the bottom line, you're dealing with finances, you're dealing with the almighty dollar. You know, nothing's nothing can be taken for granted. So I think the fact that they did. The SAG and AFTRA did push so hard to get that included, and if that is in fact what they came out with, like, yeah, it should be obvious to guys like you and me, but you know, people like Bob Iger, <laughs> mm. the studios are saying, well, if we just have this background actor, why can't, if it's a generic face, and AI can make generic faces anyway, what's the difference? I, I, I guess I see the merit in that argument, but at the same point, like, I can't I'm like you, I can't get past the fact that, like, no, that's that's a person who hasn't signed off on being associated with whatever you're putting them in. So, right. of course, you need to compensate them. Of course, you need to, to get their consent. But, you know, that's... I, I, again, this is America, and uh, fundamental rights are a hot-button topic, uh, whether you're talking about the movie industry or, you know, I guess abortion rights. <laughs> well, I mean, look, you could put these actors, you know, performances in Nazi uniforms 20 years from now. Yep. You, you should not be able to do that without yep. their... Per- 
permission, these background actors. And we're just talking about like, like six weeks from now you could do yeah. it, you know? Like, yeah. Right. And well, they could be walking down the street. Yeah, I, I mean, like, there's a, it sounds like a, a minefield. But again, I, I mean, if you don't, this is why lawyers do some good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> once in a while. If you don't have it on paper, it's only ripe for the, the haves for the people in power to yeah. take advantage of it. So I'm yeah. glad they got that win. I look forward to seeing more specifics of that uh, particular aspect of the deal coming to light. And uh, Fran Drescher talked a bit about AI as well, but in her interview with Kilkenny, uh, uh, she revealed that she felt background actors were more represented also in this collectively bargained agreement than they were in any other uh, deal having having been done with the AMPTP. Uh, background actors received the largest minimum increase of any on-camera roles at an 11% raise. Non-background actors will be receiving a 7% bump in pay. Drescher also mentioned a breakdown of a 75-25 split for revenue on the new money coming to actors from streaming shows with the 75% going to actors on shows which are watched by 20% of the streamer's audience, which is a uh, we got into when we discussed the WGA deal, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, uh, and the other 25% headed into a SAG-controlled fund. But again, we're going to need to follow up on that with more specifics and more details uh, for the exact breakdowns of those types of uh, contracts. Still, that's that's good news. I mean, that's big a bigger piece of the pie, obviously. Any steps towards making a living wage is, is a positive for, uh, you know, if you have a job, you should be able to live using that job is a radical idea i know but that's where i stand i i I agree with you thank (laughs) you sir but like i said there were some things that uh the sag after didn't get everything they wanted and ireland and drescher were both very forthright and honest when kilkenny asked them about that and one of the things they did lose out on as ireland said was some sort of compensation tied to streaming revenue for actors that suggests that there are marked differences in the contract between what sag has with the amptp and what the wga has with the studios because of course there are they're going to be just the nature of the beast Mm -hmm. we went long and in depth just about how writers will get paid going forward on work done for major streaming services that take off in popularity uh, this interview suggests that won't be the case in this CBA for actors. And earlier in negotiations this month, that actual linchpin, that part of the deal of compensation tied to streaming revenue for actors was reportedly the reason talks broke down back in mid-October and yeah. led to Ted, Ted Sarando saying that was a feel too far and blah, blah, blah. Um, Ireland made it clear that SAG did win a a streaming participation bonus that is similar in some ways to the WGA's deal and is applicable now to more SAG members who should get a check for being in streaming productions than they would have previously. So it's a give and a take there. It's a true negotiation. They they didn't get you know everything they wanted as far as the streaming productions where maybe the WGA seemed to have gotten more, but both Drescher and Ireland said that that is definitely something they want to focus on in future negotiations. Now maybe these bonuses are are an inroads, and it's opened it's opened that up for future negotiations. Mm-hmm. I mean, we haven't heard as many breakdowns of this deal yet right. as obviously you know we were able to study with the WGA AMP. It's funny deal. too because both of them started their interviews like, "Well, we got to stay mum, we got to wait till a vote," and then they went into specifics anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> but this is what we did. We did really well here. Blah blah blah. So you could tell they were kind of excited about it. Anyway, the deal gets renegotiated every uh, three years, these contracts, so hopefully they can do better in terms of the, the revenue share later. But uh, like, like we heard characterized in the WGA you know, analysis of that deal, 
sometimes these are inroads and and you and you you make an inroads for the future and now yeah. you can negotiate uh for that in the future so i'm a little bit surprised they didn't do as well as the wga here especially after holding out as long but you know it's a different economic world you got to pay actors more than you got to pay writers i just think at the end of the day so it makes sense that the studios were like nope but yeah and, and I mean, to, to that end, too, maybe they did in other ways. Again, we don't have all the specifics, and it's going to be a little bit before we here in the punditry are going to be able to definitively say, yes, this was a win, no doubt, slam dunk win for sag after, or, boy, they did a little worse than we thought because, again, the specifics and the details just aren't out there. They're trying to stay mum on most of the details until this is totally ratified by themselves and put into action. But the, the big headline from all of this, again, is everyone's back to work the writers and the actors and with that comes i mean it's just in time for award season right so we're gonna get noise and we're gonna get a lot of noise there's gonna be and it's already started if you looked on social media so many advertisements and trailers and promotions and i mean your social medias are gonna your phone is gonna be processing so much information you're gonna be able to make a grilled cheese sandwich on it because the (laughs) studios are just flooding right now and actors are flooding right now getting out everything they can so to me, that's going to make it interesting here talking about the Oscars. Like, are we going to get just inundated with a lot of sameness? Are people going to have to get a little crazy in order to stand out and make their campaign unique? I'm curious as to what's in store. And it's fascinating from a pundit perspective, like Andrew Morgan was texting us the yeah. other day. I mean, do the front runners of the season have an edge necessarily? Right. Or is it more pronounced than ever that the incoming blast of marketing and campaigning and even though there are rules against it we we know those can be skirted (laughs) rather simply and easily by emails never mind anyway but we yeah i mean watching parties yeah will the late breakers break even more heavily against the barbenheimers and the more established uh films right now like a killers of the flower moon etc so this is going to be something we're going to be talking about and debating and analyzing for for months and uh I look forward to it, Michael. It's gonna. It, it's certainly one of the more unique campaign seasons that's upcoming that we've had here in MMO. So it's gonna be fun to kind of juxtapose the usual. I mean, for the love of God, thank thank the Lord we started MMO when we did because this is gonna be the third mm-hmm. totally radical, unique campaign season. We have a normal one, we have a COVID one, and now we have <laughs> the strike shortened one. So we're going to be able to kind of compare and contrast all those against each other. Mike, Mike and Oscar is a battle tested <laughs> podcast operate punditry operation. That's Absolutely. True. All right. Well, we will move into our awards news portion here. We got a bunch of nominations and we will start with the IFAs, the European Film Award nominations. They announced Kind of their big five categories I think we're going to focus on, as well as doc, animation, short, and discovery. But film director, screenwriter, actor, actress at the European Film Awards. And I'll start out with some tallies, kind of, because the best film category kind of had reverberations for the rest of the card. The Zone of Interest got five nominees, Anatomy of a Fall and Fallen Leaves with four nominees each. Green Border, Agnieszka Holland's film there from Poland, three noms, and Io Capitan, two noms there from Italy. Anatomy of a Fall and Green Border are not eligible for Best International Feature at the Oscars. Otherwise, The Zone of Interest, Fallen Leaves, and uh, 
Io Capitan, I believe, or national selections there, Michael. So, you know, that always factors in as well. Am I crazy or has Fallen Leaves gotten more momentum lately? I want to see it. it more. I may. This is the like before sunset kind of askew romance that had the kooky trailer Mm -hmm. that was at the New York Film Festival. I I missed it, but I may. I'm going into New York City next weekend, and I may. I may steal a screening of that. Was that the trailer I made fun of? Yes, you did. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. But it might be the perfect international (laughs) film. Therefore, (laughs) continuing to tally here, uh, the Teachers Lounge had two noms: screenwriter and actress Leone Banesh. How to Have Sex, which did well in a couple of these uh, uh, awards nominations, we're going to be talking about. Also had two noms: actress Mia McKenna Bruce, and was also nominated in the Discovery category. Uh, A Fire uh, got into one nomination for actor Thomas Schulbert, La Camira, actor Josh O'Connor, The Promised Land for Mads Mikkelsen, and Blackbird, Blackbird, Blackbird. Actress Ika Shavavishi. I am. I murdered that name, and I apologize. Shavavishvili. Oh boy, <laughs> Mike won. <laughs> so for Oscar purposes, I relate the Ifas to the Gotham's in many ways because there is a boost potential, and we've seen it in the past for heavily nominated films like a like a Cold War, I believe, but. I, I look. I mean, Triangle of Sadness, another round. They they definitely got boosts by winning a lot at the European Film Awards before their Oscars campaign. That being said, films like The Favorite or Quo Vadis Aida, mm. since we've been covering the the, the IFAs, they get nominated a year after their Oscars success right. or all their noms. So this gets a little tricky. This year, we do seem to have a lot of films that are going to be up for this year's Oscars, so I don't think it's an, an issue, and we could kind of you know look into this. But something like Germany's The Teacher's Lounge missed Best Film, missed Best Director. It did get screenwriter. It did get actress, like we said. However... You know that was supposed to contend. We we thought we hoped in an uh, international feature. And what does this mean? Well, we have to look no further back than last year, where All Quiet on the Western Front was not heavily nominated at all at the IFAs and wound mm. up being a huge lake breaker with humongous Oscar uh, winning and nomination potential there uh, after the the BAFTAs jumped on the All Quiet on the Western mm-hmm. Front bandwagon. So this is, you know, meaning meaning everything and nothing. Quite like the Gotham's mean everything and nothing, and it's, makes sense. It's, it's good. Uh, it's also, I mean, kind of just a litmus test too of okay, Zone of Interest is probably the front runner in the category, and if it didn't lead the nominations here, like you said, I mean, maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Like All Quiet didn't, but like it is certainly since it did end up leading. Okay, that's a badge of honor. It's a merit badge for its campaign and its resume going forward. Anyway, so everything and nothing is kind of like you said, and it's going to be fun to see Zone of Interest go against Anatomy of a Fall because we won't have that opportunity on an Oscar stage, right? Right. In terms of the doc category, Apollonia, Apollonia, Four Daughters, Smoke Sauna, Sisterhood, Motherland, and On the Adamant were the five noms there. I'm very curious to see Four Daughters. That's been showing up a lot of places. Apollonia, Apollonia, as I covered, uh, IDA and Gotham. And then, uh, yeah, we have some festival winners like Smoke Sauna, Sisterhood from Sundance and On the Adamant from uh, the Berlin Film Festival where it won Best Film there. Doc NYC just started this week. I'm probably going to do a few screenings there, but, uh, you know, it's $13 a screening at, at home if you want to do things online. So it's, it's really? not bad. Yeah, it's not bad if you want to no, pick and choose a couple uh, a, a couple movies there. But all right, we'll move into the, the Beefus, Michael. Beefus. 
Fantastic beefers. <laughs> British Independent Film Awards. We're, we're children. We always have fun with the beef name there. But uh, mm-hmm. we'll talk about the nomination leaders here as well. Rye Lane led the pack with 16 noms. Rye Lane's kind of one of those that was like, got all kinds of joy and representation at the time it came out and then I feel like it kind of just gotten forgot about so it's nice to see it show up here and lead the pack all of a stranger's scrapper and how to have sex there it is again each scored 13 noms apiece at the beefas uh, and femme got 11 noms and, and those movies you mentioned those were the five films nominated for best beefa the ultimate beefa <laughs> all Tastiest of a stranger's beefa <laughs> yeah all of us strangers femme how to have sex Riley Lane and scrapper uh yeah, they're going to all be going toe-to-toe on December 3rd. So, again, this is a fun early season awards show. And I got to be honest, when I look at the crossover of this next category, I'm going to be looking at the Beefas much more closelier than one might think. Because the best international independent film has Oscars relevance michael anatomy of a fall fallen leaves fremont monster and past lives those are the Hmm. five nominees this year and look i mean 11 of the last 13 winners of this best international independent film category at the bifas 11 of the last 13 have gotten oscar nominations the last nine in in a row that that have won this category got those oscar nominations and of those 11 eight went on to win Oscars. I mean, hmm. you look at some big names, including Nomadland, Parasite, and Moonlight, Best Picture winners, but The Worst Person in the World, Roma, Get Out, Room, big names, A Separation going all the way back to 2011. So th- this is an important category overall, and, and it's something with a, a, a percentage that that matters, Michael, right? Uh, the nomination stat isn't quite as impressive, but it's still very notable as well. Since 2010, 41 of the last 65 nominees in this Best Independent Film category at the Beefers have become Oscar-nominated. That's 63%. Going back to your point, though, Mike, like, yeah, that's an impressive track record, and yet, because Zone of Interest isn't nominated here, and Anatomy of a Fall would probably be the front-runner, and it can't be nominated in the international feature category at the Oscars, it's going to might throw a wrench into the plan there anyway or it gives a chance for something like fallen leaves to maybe make a bigger statement and a bigger oscars campaign or or past lives for that matter but you're absolutely right i think uh you know still whenever you have 63 percent, i mean that's those are good odds i'll, I'll take those odds at this time yeah. of the season and uh certainly if you win this category it, it, it tends to matter so those are the beefas we'll move on to the hollywood music and media award nominations and this is almost this is all this is a relatively newer award show. I think it's the 13th, excuse me, 14th iteration of the Hummas. And <laughs> this show kind of bats 50%. Like, all right, they have seven original score feature film categories, Michael. They should bat better than the stats we're going to go over. And they have five original song feature film categories. And yet, when you look at what's here and what's not here, it, it's... It's a little strange, but all right, we'll, we'll cover it quick. Uh, you, you'll start with original song, Mike. Wouldn't it make sense to have one original song and have that be the biggest award of the night, and yet wouldn't that be a Grammy? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into the Grammys in a second, but yeah. yeah right. But they have five original song categories, and yet the, the crossover isn't 
great, and especially isn't great with the punditry. Let's start with the original song. We'll cross-check the Nons with Variety's awards circuit via Clayton Davis. Barbie has three songs being submitted for two potential shortlist song spots, and two of those three songs get HMMA noms here. What Was I Made For from Billie Eilish and I'm Just Ken got nominated, though, Michael, your biggest heartthrob, mm. your, your song of your <laughs> summer, the song you most campaigned for, Dua Lipa's Dance the Night, did not get in. I am very upset with the Hummus. <laughs> 1, 6, and 11, respectively, are those songs ranked on Clayton Davis's original song list right now. Yeah, Diane Warren's song for Becky G, or from Becky G, for Flamin' Hot. I did not know she even had this song eligible, <laughs> but that is by far uh, a relevant enough movie there on Hulu to get her her 74th Oscar nom, and I'm sure that's going to happen. <laughs> that's Clayton Davis's number two. Uh, that's in at the Hummus. As are Clayton's third and fourth songs from Origin and Trolls Band together. However, American Symphony's John Patisse song was oddly snubbed. And hmm. it was just reported by Clayton that the song was, was getting submitted for the Oscars. So maybe it was an eligibility thing, but I'm not sure. And Batiste obviously is a favorite of the Academy even recently, so that'll be something to keep an eye on for sure. But otherwise, Clayton's seventh through tenth ranked songs were all nominated here at the Hummus, uh, including songs from Wish, Rustin, Flora and Son, and of course, Super Mario's viral hit Peaches, 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 Peaches. <laughs> Well, original song is going to tell original score, excuse me, is going to tell a different story. But the top five IndieWire frontrunners did get in: American Fiction, Barbie, Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Spider Verse. They all got HMMA noms in original score in one of those categories. However, seven of the eighteen listed "quote unquote" contender scores. That's it. Only seven of the eighteen were were. HMMA nominated. Mm. Uh, now, the boy in the heron may have had an eligibility thing, but I'm looking at the the nominated, like A Haunting in Venice, Elemental, Nyad, Saltburn, Society of the Snow, Rust, and the Killer. Okay, good. Dix the Musical makes sense to me. Dial of Destiny, that's a little surprising. Isn't that John Williams? Anyway, Napoleon, yeah. Origin, Past Lives, Poor Things, The Boy in the Heron, The Color Purple, The Holdovers, The Zone of Interest, Wish. Wish. A lot of those have got nominated either in song or somewhere else on the card. So to, to, for them not to get score is surprising to me. Movie experts not knowing music categories is like a hand-in-glove thing, I think. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. But look at I mean, the HMMAs did not do well last year in terms of an Oscar crossover. Only one of the five Oscar-nominated original scores got an HMMA nom first that I can tell, Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, no All Quiet, no Babylon, no Everything Everywhere, no Fablements. Uh, mm. Four of the five in 2021 and five of the five in 2020. So I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's really strange crossover stat, but maybe they're pushing away from Oscar crossover relevancy now, the, the Hummus. I'm, I'm not sure. But based on the punditry, they are. That's a lot of categories for what's the best song of the year, what's the best score of the year. I yeah, don't mind it. I mean, it's spreading categories. the love, but yeah, it's you might be I twelve category, twelve categories. Michael crunching down to two at the Oscars, yeah, and yet that crossover is weak. It's not good, yeah. Anyway, Wild. all right. 
Grammy noms, best score soundtrack for visual media, Barbie, Black Panther, and the Fablemans, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and Oppenheimer. So obviously the Barbenheimer inclusion there is of note. And then best song written for visual media, four from Barbie and one from Black Panther, Lift Me Up. So that, that that's last year. But four from Barbie, including the big What Was I Made For, I'm Just Ken, and Dance the Night along with Barbie there World. There you go, so. Mike. Yeah, Dance the Night, getting some love at the Grammys. And we like who needs, to. Who needs an HMMA nom, huh? That's right. The Grammys, the Grammys are, are are in for Barbie, and I hope uh, I hope they win. I think they got a good chance, even though the "Lift Me Up" song. By Some would say an eighty percent chance. <laughs> Riri was a good song, anyway. WGA Awards pushed themselves to after the Oscars, Michael. The WGA Awards, and it's always a minefield with them because who's eligible, who's not. Mm. This is something that's been kind of sickly fun to analyze every year yeah but now the wgas have moved to april 14th it's well after the oscars which is over a month after the oscars on march 10th why would they do this i mean i guess they just don't care they want to emphasize their tv more tv writers more i don't get it i mean i assume it has something to do with the strikes but i i uh, very odd I mean, what's what's going to be nominated has already been out, so I don't know. I, and I'm not sure about the TV eligibility windows. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We only do Mike, Mike, and Emmy twice, <laughs> twice or three times a year. But may, does that even fall into, you know, re- relevancy in terms of the eligibility windows? I don't know. Remember when Bo Burnham gave his speech at the WGA Awards? He was like, have fun at the Oscars, losers. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. That was a highlight. Anyway, we will finish with a make the case what we're watching segment big for one. the ages. A big <laughs> one here. And uh, we got to start with this movie, Michael. All right. You saw the Marvels last night. I have not seen it yet. Uh, Marvels did not do well on its Thursday preview, showing a $6.6 million Thursday night rake. Uh, May gross a new low for Marvel. An under $60 million opening weekend is in play. This is the Nia DaCosta-helmed film. Obviously, Brie Larson is back as Captain Marvel. Tiona Paris, Iman Vellani, Samuel L. Jackson are all back here teaming up. Uh, it's gotten polarizing reviews online, but then again, so did Captain Marvel, and we weren't. Uh, we were very much in favor of that movie. Uh, this one doesn't land for you, Mike. Very mixed bag, and I'm ultimately a little negative on it at the end of the day because I just have Marvel at a higher standard. So this is like a C plus Marvel offering for me, I guess. But it just felt like rushed. Like the tempo felt rushed. It felt like scatter shot. These characters really didn't have the time to develop good chemistry with one another. Like the, the, the kookiness of all the body swapping in terms of the, uh, you know, their powers being t- intertwined. It happens very early in the movie. And yeah, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work narratively speaking. Like a lot of the attempted jokes don't land either, which was rough. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. look, the audience that in my theater laughed and there's one particular sequence that is very funny uh, that I, I, I won't even spoil it all, but a very funny sequence involved. The VFX was hit and miss. This is nothing new now. I mean, quantum mania was cartoonish at times and then looked great at others. And, and there's been a lot going on uh, both, you know, on, on in terms of work and politically with uh, Marvel's VFX uh, contingent there. Yeah, we need them to get into IATSE, ASAFP, yeah. because 
the VF, like their Waterworld VFX looks so bad in this. Like I'm just cringing at it. And then, and like you said, this isn't the first movie that's happened with that. I mean, it's been a couple in a row now. And it's, I mean, it's, I don't even think it's their fault because they're under such a time crunch. Right. It's just crazy. It's hard. But like the Captain Marvel effects look cool. And the, right. You know, Miss Marvel effects look cool and stuff like that was worked. It's, it's, it's frustrating. But. Yeah, I loved a few fight scenes. Uh, their powers were intertwined, and even though like it's not the funniest movie in the world, it's pretty badass, and and it's and it's a long fight scene. I wish they put the Beastie Boys to it, like <laughs> like they did in the trailer. <laughs> that would have been better. But the Beastie Boys are obviously front and center of this music uh, movie, so you get the good music there. Uh, like I said, funny sequence. I think the finale and the post credits could lead to a fun future installment in this particular franchise and certainly i think it could be fun for the mcu going forward with where they're taking things and and what we get and a lot of people were very happy walking out of the movie theater last night so that's a good sign but i'm like, I'm like thinking back to this movie and this is very meh c plus maybe and it's a bummer because a lot of marvel properties lately have been leaving this taste in our mouths. Even the Loki finale was not very good, in my opinion. I thought they jumped the shark. I thought they were very lazy when they've been so very clever all this Mm. time, especially on Loki, and it just sucks. So Marvel fatigue is is a real thing, and I think they're acknowledging that finally. Like, we're only getting Deadpool 3 next year, Michael, and Blade, Fantastic Four, Captain America 4, and Thunderbolts all getting pushed to 2025. I do not think that is merely a logistical issue for Marvel. I think they're doing that because they're they're realizing that it's just, it's too much. I'm of two minds of it because like, like again, yeah, it, it probably is too much. But also if the stories were great, they wouldn't be too much. Like, Breaking Bad every week wasn't too much. Yeah, but you didn't have Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul going on at once, and you didn't have movies and things. I mean, it's... It, it, there's a, there's a problem thin. with Phase 4. Vince Gilligan, even Vince Vill- Gilligan, <laughs> could be spread too thin. Like, he can't be overseeing 10 TV shows and four movies a year. It's too much. You're, you're probably right. Uh, I think it's exasperated by the fact that I think there's a problem with Phase 4. Right. And we were talking about this in the pre-production, too. I mean, the Jonathan Majors, his issues aside, if Kang was going to, and I mean, those are serious issues to put aside that we've commented on them plenty of times. Mm-hmm. If Kang was going to be your new Thanos, mm-hmm. even if you didn't like the way he was handled, like you introduced him so late into phase four, you're introducing all these new characters that are like in these one-offs that don't, the public doesn't know, first of all, and second of all, aren't being tied together with any cohesion, like We've commented on this a bunch. Where are you going? Where's your Avengers meetup thing happening? Because that's what people are expecting, for one. You've taken all the stakes out of any of these movies by introducing all these different, uh, whatever you want to call them. What are they called? Realms? Places? Yeah, the the, the fact that you have time travel, uh, timelines, and different mul- universes. Multiverses. Multiverse, uh, yeah. You know, that's, like, yeah, that's, it really is uh, lowering the stakes. Yeah. So I, I just I, Marvel. I, I was tweeting about this already. I just think they need. Yes, slowing down is probably a good thing. I do. They need a big hit. They need something that's going to make waves. That's going to be kind of universally praised. And I don't know what that thing is. Deadpool three. I think a lot of people will want to see that. So maybe sure. they could 
they could have a big movie next year and it's the one movie and it'll make a, a billion five and everybody's like, oh, is Marvel going to make a comeback? And then they got Blade coming out, Fantastic Four. And hey, now obviously the X-Men are set up and, you know, with the Deadpool 3. So, right? Yeah, except that, I mean, look at all the problem. I mean, there was just a report and Variety uh, talking about Marvel not that long this week or last week and how uh, Mahershala Ali almost walked away from Blade because of all the production issues it's been having. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I just, things don't sound good on the outside right now. For no, it's a mess. It yeah. is a mess. And speaking of messes, <laughs> <laughs> we did not like Nyad, and we kind of already, you know, let the cat out of the bag in our uh, Scaries episode. Yeah. But Annette Benning, Jodie Foster, Reese and Fonz, Netflix's Jimmy Chin, Elizabeth Chai, Vazar Helgi. Mike, would you have just rather had a documentary? Because Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai, Vazar Helgi, they have made great documentaries about mountain climbers, including the Oscar-winning Free Solo, Nyad could have been a much better doc, no? Probably, but I didn't... Like, there were aspects of this movie I didn't mind. It, it's just that it's all Jodie Foster. Yeah. Like, I'm glad we got the Jody, this Jodie Foster performance, but she's not the one being talked about at all. Everyone's talking about Annette Benning and her lead actress chances. I don't... Swimming is not acting. I don't know. I, didn't, <laughs> I, I wasn't... I, I was not drawn into this story much. I thought I was kind of bored uh, at times. Uh, uh, the you makeup and I, was not good. The makeup was not good. Uh, we, we, we've joked about it. Uh, basically, the shape of water monster <laughs> also looked like. I mean, I get it. She was in the water for 60 hours. Right, right. So she's not going to. I mean, nobody. If you, if you if you put you in the water for sixty hours, you're gonna look like <laughs> right. Uh, look like a raisin, yeah. And mm-hmm. I I also bring personal baggage with this too because you're watching somebody being pushed to the point of mental exhaustion to where they might be doing harm to themselves. And yes, it's a movie, and this is all like, you know, who knows what the actual reality of the situation was. But like, clearly, this is a woman struggling with her mental faculties in the water, and she's being basically whipped right. like a racehorse to keep going right. figuratively. It's like, I have issues with that. I don't, I, this movie wasn't for me. Ford V Ferrari had, had difficulties making like the marathon race cinematic. And this had some of those same difficulties. That was mm. obviously a different story. Cause much more into the behind the scenes. And we get some of that here, but they rush a lot of the biggest, you know, moments of her life in terms of the flashbacks and some of it is super important and we don't really get into it at all and super heavy and we don't get into it at all. I don't, I don't, I don't understand the tone of this movie. It was very odd. It was very flat. And you and I have been watching sports movies our entire lives. (laughs) We've seen all of them. Mm. We've seen all the sports movies Mm -hmm. and this just felt very unique and, and it was kind of a head scratcher to me. That being said, I did, you know, I did find the Jodie Foster coach similarities to my own life in the sense when you get this such a level of headstrong athlete, and I've only gotten athletes that are, you know, not even close to Diana Nyad, but you need a lighter touch, you need to be careful, you need to be clever, you need how how you motivate those those kind of kids. Yeah, and, and that's what the story kind of should have been. I felt like it should have been more about the. Like the, mm-hmm. Diana Nyad is literally asking her partner to let her die if she has to die to complete right. complete this complete this marathon uh, swim because she thinks it's like her life goal. 
and a Herculean effort, and right. just superhuman. The fact, what a hero she is to, for that effort alone. I mean, I know her personal life is, you know, being debated in the public sphere. Yeah, I don't think I said that word right. Yeah, it was good enough. It was an F there, I think. <laughs> but I, yeah, yeah, this was like a C plus. Again, it's like a disappointing C plus for yeah, me. Yeah, I was seventy four C. I didn't like it. I right. just, I don't, I don't get it. All right. Well, we'll move into something we liked very much, the two of mm-hmm. us. Quiz Lady on Hulu. Maybe the most charming movie I've seen all year. <laughs> this was you. You texted me the word adorable, and was, I c- totally couldn't adorable. agree more. And yeah. maybe it's because we're dog people too, and they love the doggy walkies <laughs> in this movie. Oh, it was the cutest. The doggy stuff, the pug, the dog nappers storyline was absolutely. Oh my god, it melted me, melted me down. But yeah, I love Jessica Yu's film here. She's been a longtime TV director. Billions in Treatment, This Is Us, et cetera, et cetera. Aquafina, subdued Aquafina, reminded me of like Will Ferrell doing subdued Will Ferrell or or Jim Carrey doing like a weird nebbish part. <laughs> I remember. Few in their careers. I don't remember who wrote it, but it was years ago when Mom first came on CBS, mm-hmm. and. Uh, this is all going off the top of my head, so I'm going to butcher the facts of this. But the, the point is, <laughs> somebody wrote an article talking about how Jamie Presley uh, and Anna Ferris. Jamie Presley was like the more conservative and reserved friend. And mm-hmm. you would expect her, because of her, her CV and her history of characters played, to have maybe taken the Anna Ferris role. And Anna Ferris would have been the more conservative friend and the reserved friend. And Jamie Presley would have been the... the young mother and living on a wild side and blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of what I felt about Sandra Oh and Aquafina here. It's like, mm-hmm. I felt like if you were to cast those two in these roles, they would have been reversed. Aquafina would have been the wild sister, you know, life of the party living on the edge. <laughs> and Sandra Oh would have been, the, but I think it, it came off better that they were casted in the roles they were casted in. I loved Sandra Oh in this. She was very funny. And then, yeah, Aquafina has her moments, and she's as talented a comedian as there is out there. Yeah. And she nailed it. And then you have one of the better character roles of Will Ferrell's career. Like, this was, I, like, I don't want to give anything away. Why, if you're a Will Ferrell fan, you want to watch Quiz Lady <laughs> immediately on Hulu. Like, that is just worth the price of admission. He's deadpan. Right there. Just total deadpan. Love like, Charming, him. happy deadpan. I loved him so much in Quiz Lady. Yeah. All right. A movie we're more mixed on is Fingernails, the Apple original film, Christos Niku of Apples, which was a pandemic movie that was kind of good. Uh, Jesse Buckley, Riz Ahmed, Jeremy Allen White, Luke Wilson, and Annie Murphy, star-studded cast. This is a bit messy tonally, I, let's just say, because yeah. it's it's love actually meets Syriana. <laughs> Which is that's an what, odd. That's what I mean. Like I don't. I didn't know pitch. what I was watching half the time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really bizarre. Uh, it's about like this, you know, this company that tests your true love with your partner or not, and it's just this bizarre. And the drama is supposed to be as to whether or not you should even take the test, like yes. whether Jesse Buckley should take the test to prove if she's actually in love with Jeremy Allen. I didn't care. <laughs> Just, to, but but this should not be as complicated. This should just be an outpatient procedure. Like for all of the advanced science here, like this is not a movie, dude. Just get it done and and move on. Like what is this? Doesn't make any sense. That being said, 
like Jesse Buckley and Riz Ahmed are uh, adorable together. Yeah, the clearly, music, they belong together. <laughs> right. The music, Total Eclipse of the Heart, Frankie ba- Valley, mm-hmm. the Everly Brothers. I love yes. the song from the trailer. Yeah, Yazos, Yazoo's, Only You, Vince Clark of Depeche Mode there. Love that song. Love, you know, Jesse Buckley sing- singing it. It's, again, adorable. But... Like this, it was just a very strange, odd movie. I enjoyed it more than Nyad, if that means anything. I gave this a seventy six. <laughs> I gave Nyad a seventy four. But yeah, it's just, it's just weird. Like I don't know. I didn't understand mm-hmm. the the drama that they were going for. Wasn't dramatic to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. The I'm drama sorry. wasn't dramatic. <laughs> put that on the Rotten Tomato pull yeah, quote. There you go. <laughs> Drama wasn't dramatic. <laughs> Screw you. No, I think uh, <laughs> I think it's like a C plus again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I like enough about it. I wasn't like upset that I watched Fingernails, but it was on the border for me. I'll, I'm not upset yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be upset when I think back yeah. later. All right. Well, here's a movie you should watch, and it's kind of in our wheelhouse here. It's Sly. Netflix documentary about Sylvester Stallone, Tiff Centerpiece. You have Arnold Schwarzenegger, Quentin Tarantino, Frank Stallone, Talia Shire, Henry Winkler, one of our favorite podcasters slash movie critics, Wesley Morris of The Ringer, etc. Yeah. Is he Rolling Stone now? I forget where he's with. Uh, but he's always on The Ringer stuff with Bill Simmons. Mm-hmm. Sly is an addicting filmography-based doc. And you're not going to spend time on every single one of his movies. Like the, You'll do longer cutaways or longer stories about the making of Rocky, the making of Rambo, the making of the Expendables. But like Stallone is such a great interview here and, and Arnold and Tarantino and, and Morris are such great interviews. I mean, Henry Winkler's got a story like this is a great Hollywood documentary. Good. I loved it. You get, you get a lot about the actor turned director. You get a lot about movie stardom, especially movie stardom in the 1980s. You get a lot about action movie history, franchise movie history, and the birth of kind of the franchise blockbuster and on all the sequelitis. Like Sly is a is a cool watch. B plus all day. Any Oscars likes, or is it just something that's like good for the soul? Documentary is so strange this year. I'm wondering how many of these international documentaries get nominated do I'm we have a front runner 20 days in Mariupol for the for the nomination is it for the win american symphony has been on a lot of people's mind but it, it hasn't been racking up the resume that i would want it to rack up necessarily american symphony because at this point in the last few years i mean we have the established okay this is the one to be the it doesn't feel memory. that case this this that yet Beyond Utopia were two great documentaries I saw at Sundance. Those are still my top two. Okay. The Eternal Memory and Beyond Utopia. I think those are available now for to for everybody to watch either on VOD or uh, in theaters. So I would recommend those, and I would recommend a couple of these next few. Not this next one on Netflix. Squaring the Circle. I think you got to really be a music nerd to love Squaring the Circle. It's about the company that did the photography for some famous album covers in the 60s and 70s, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Wings, etc. But this was a snore. I feel bad. You also get... Bu- you you don't like minutia sometimes, and I'm a fan of it sometimes. Okay. We've, we've had those discussions before about like how to get around a festival, and you're like, I, I, I don't like that. I don't like that idea. And I'm like, that fascinates me. I don't want... I want to know like what the ins and outs of it are. So like I could see that playing maybe more towards someone like me than someone like you. But at the same time, squaring the circle is a horrible name for something that's not about wrestling or boxing. 
yes, this was this was an odd movie. I, I wasn't a big fan. I was a big fan. I really liked Lakota Nation versus the United States and the League. These are two very important docs to watch, but they're, I mean, the league is a fun baseball documentary, fast paced, talking great baseball stories about great baseball players from Satchel Paige all the way through the Jackie Robinson, uh, the history of, of, of baseball in this country. And it's just really, really fun and, 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 and powerful by the end of it with the Jackie Robinson stories. It's just been a great year for sports stop. Where do you find that sports docs? Uh, that's on Hulu right now. Okay. And yeah, I would rec- I would I I love the year of baseball docs. The Saint of Second Chances, the League, it ain't over. Three really good baseball docs on the year, but great soccer TV shows. I should call it football, Beckham and Welcome to Wrexham. And then Beckham was great. Yeah, love Beckham. Love Beckham. And then yeah, I mean Lakota Nation versus the United States, very important doc that I would prefer watching. Over Killers of the Flower Moon any day. No, no. no offense. <laughs> I came. I hate. This is people are gonna be pissed off at me because like, you know, because I'm just gonna keep poking the bear, I guess. But yeah, we're one of the few people, or I'm one of the few people. Yeah, I haven't gotten it. I haven't you didn't got, watch it. I, I, am, I warned I am, you against it. I'm. You've said outright. Don't. I don't want you to see it in theaters. <laughs> I do not want you. I want you to wait until you can do what you've been doing and kind of watch it in four episodes. <laughs> You know? I am I am still hopeful. I I am guarded and reserved now because of your uh disdain, but uh I don't know. I How do you mess that up? <laughs> <laughs> maybe I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Most yeah. of the world thinks I'm wrong and yeah. love Killers of the Flower Moon, but I wasn't it wasn't I was not a big fan. Uh it's Seabiscuit. Like fucking Seabiscuit. <laughs> I didn't want Seabiscuit when I went to Killers of the Flower Moon. I wanted <laughs> Oh, you wanted a sea biscuit. You wanted really? a want, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Priscilla, uh, A24, Sofia Coppola film, Kaylee Spaney, Jacob Elordi, uh, Venice actress winner there. I've loved Sofia Coppola films my whole life, especially since my student, student days. This is one of her better constructions. Like, the performances are top-notch. The production values are incredible. Like, production design. We should never lock a category again, Michael. We should never (laughs) lock a category again because the set decoration here, the number of items, it's like an antique roadshow history through the 19, late 50s, early, you know, 60s, all of the 60s and early 70s. I, I, I cannot imagine a history buff and certainly an Elvis buff not going gaga for every single detail in this movie. It's right. absolutely gorgeous. And it's like Wes Anderson levels of, you know, fe- they feature the production design and the set decoration, all these props. It's really beautiful. Uh, costumes, makeup and hair styling, next level. Like that should be the floor for this movie, Priscilla. Those three nominations. However, you know, I worry about production design being so crowded as we've, discussed many a times right. now five million opening weekend box office on a 20 million dollar budget could have done better could have done worse but you could see a path to profitability there for priscilla you wonder if a24 is going to push it but uh like this is directly addressing the elephant in the room which is the age disparity in the courtship between elvish and priscilla uh i forget her boulot their French name. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's directly addressing that because it's taken from the Priscilla autobiography. And the age disparity is that he started courting her when she was, what, 14? 
14, 15, a ninth grader, and he's 24, 25, 23 and, in, in Kay- the Army. And Kaylee Spaney is, in real life, you said 25? Yeah, the both actors are both 24 and 26. So clearly it doesn't appear weird right. in the movie. But you're watching this, and you're like, well, that's that's wrong, that's grooming. And, and, and Sophia Coppola is addressing this. Like, this is not... This is not something you're approving of watching. Well, it's, it's you're come, I mean, it's come movie. out afterwards too that uh, Jamie Lee, uh, Jamie Lee Presley wrote to Sofia Coppola and had dis- disregarded the movie, wasn't a fan of it, thought it was you know being derogatory towards Elvis, et cetera, et cetera. Even though it had uh, Priscilla Presley's blessing, and you know it's it's been a contentious point. It's it's a complicated issue, and in look to to Elvis's credit, he waits her out in a way. But it's still grooming. It's still <laughs> as wrong. Yeah, it's by today's standards. Like this is, this is not going to fly. I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, I. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the movie is, but but the movie it plays out and it makes sense from her perspective, and it, it's a powerful middle of the film. It's a little bit of a flat ending, but obviously it's all. I mean, it's not melodrama. It's it's seeded to the end, and it makes sense. Uh, you, you guys, if you watched Elvis, or you know the story. You, you know what happens. But it's it, it's it's not a minor work from Sofia Coppola. I've heard some people talk about it as such. I don't think it is. I think it should be in the mix for a lot of Oscars. I give it a B plus all day. Oh, I think good. I gave it an eighty eight or eighty seven, eighty eight. A uh, little bit anticlimactic, but uh, that's Sofia Coppola. You know, she's not going to hit hit you over the head with right. everything. Right, so I'm I'm rooting for She's for much this more movie. Nuanced. It is nuanced. It is worth it. Go see it in the theaters. Go, you know. But it's it's a heavier look at the Elvis story. It's not going to be. I think nice. I called his daughter uh, uh, Jamie Lee. It's Lisa Marie, obviously. But um, did you see the uh, the meme? My hate for Jacob Elordi continues. <laughs> Have you seen the meme online? Where I mean, obviously Jacob Elordi said that he learned Elvis and how to talk from Lilo and Stitch. And so they had the comparison. There's a meme going around online how they show Austin Butler, who like isolated himself from his family for three years and became all method and like went crazy to become Elvis. And then there's a picture of Jacob Elordi. He's like learned it from Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> he did a nice job as Elvis. And he uh, he sounds Southern. Great. He really does. <laughs> it, it, I did not have a problem with him other than him being like six foot seven. And El- Elvis was not six foot seven, right? Uh, I no, I don't believe so. But I will cut Jacob Elordi down to size for you. Don't this, worry. This guy can dunk. He could dunk without <laughs> could dunk. jumping very high. I didn't know Elvis could dunk. I'm gonna take him in the post for you. <laughs> Scoop layup. That's, that's your only move. I'll Dewan Blair him to death. <laughs> Falling down. Scoop layup. But you're hey. Blair put Tashim to beat on his back back in the. <laughs> The Pit Yukon days. Oh my God, I can't believe you're and you're actually citing the enemy. That's Blair. right. You're a Yukon guy, obviously. That's We're right. from Connecticut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna run down some some stuff that I watched. And again, this was through my quarantine and all that. Good. So I have a huge list of new and old stuff. I don't think I ever. I, I think Totally Killer. I only talked about in the scaries, but it was a shockingly great 84B for me. Very clean take on not only the slasher genre but a time travel story, which, like I said, I actually care about and made sense to me and Hell put yes. focus on both the future and the present and I think it was great the the twist reveal at the end was fine which is for horror in 2023 is basically calling it like the sixth sense 
because hmm. horror in 2023 has a tough time landing the plane anymore. So I, I like Totally Killer a lot on Amazon. Uh, there's something wrong with the children. Not a lot needs to be said about it. Wasn't great. I gave it a C minus. You weren't a fan of it either. No, okay. no, but it was funny. I, I rewatched Whiplash for the first time since I saw Whiplash, and something's always bugged me about it, and I couldn't pinpoint what it was the first time around, and now I well, know what not, it is. It's not his tempo. Yeah, it's not his tempo. Well, yeah. <laughs> that bugs me too. I, it's not his tempo, and don't you dare uh-huh. proceed. I'm not going to talk tempo. about it. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to spoil anything. But the climax. I have an issue with. <laughs> Takes away from me. Okay. Nah, I'll just, just say that. Damien Chazelle should have multiple Oscars, though. Uh, <laughs> Night of the Hunted, I talked about in the scaries. It's a good watch on Shudder. Uh, pretty innovative. It's heavy-handed, though, but it's well-acted for the most part. I think you should I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch yeah. it. I, put, I just added it to my queue. I remembered you recommended it. I was excited. Uh, as far as horror movies throughout the end of October there, I watched every VHS movie. Uh, VHS 85, which just came with the new one that came, came out on Shutter. VHS 2, VHS Viral, VHS 94. Uh, you can find uh, most of them on Shutter right now. I think the new one is probably the best of the bunch for me, uh, or VHS 2, if that means anything to anyone. Can I ask you a question about these? These sure. are these are uh, a bunch of short films, correct? Anthologies, yeah. Anthologies. So, are there some movies in there that you love? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 some that are certainly better than others. So that's the... But is it like, do you get one short film in there that you absolutely love in each one of these? Or is it is it all meh? It's more the latter. I mean, there's uh, definitely one story that stands out, and I think it's from the first VHS. Because I'm like... I would only watch those like looking for gems, you know, treasure yeah. hunting. I would treasure hunt watching the VFX VHSs. Yeah. Yeah, then I would, yeah, yeah, I I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know what you do. Don't don't do that. (laughs) Look, I'm a talent scout. (laughs) No? Uh, If you want a gem, as far as horror goes, though, have you seen Lake Mungo? Yeah, I've seen the original. They made a sequel, right? Did you watch the sequels? Oh, I didn't know that. No, I finally just got the original, but I, I, something I've seen, like, promoted to me a bunch, and I never hit play on it, but I finally did. It was solid, very solid. I agree. I liked it. Um, Did you watch... Yeah, that's an older one. Hmm. Did, did you watch the burial? The Jamie Fox. Uh, Jamie Fox. Yes, I, I reviewed it on the show. Did Thanks you like it? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I like some of it. B minus. I, I mean, you're a lawyer, so you don't want the. I couldn't get through it. Oh, you didn't finish it? Nah, I couldn't get through it. I wow. was bored. You know, it was a good lawyer movie. The Kane uh, Mutiny Court Martial. Yeah, that one sounded interesting. I like that quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, it's I just, you're just in court, and they're marshalling. Yeah. All right. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, you weren't a fan of. I wasn't a fan of. My niece was a huge fan of. Really? All right. Well, she loved good. it. <laughs> She's watched it, I think, <laughs> four times already. <laughs> oh. So, uh-huh. I guess, uh, I, guess I, I mean, I'm glad that uh, the kid, kids love it, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you're family's standards are immediately ripped away and there's just no mpaa <laughs> authority there and she just immediately <laughs> she's young hey, right? it's pg-13 like it's pg-13 but she's there's, six there was Isn't parental she, guidance in the room is she five or six uh, i think she's seven she's seven yeah so she's more than halfway there living on a prayer <laughs> uh the worst movie i've seen this year mm-hmm. is a movie called down that's on hulu <sighs> it's incredibly bad Probably worse than the Pet Cemetery Bloodlines movie. 
This is a horror movie? It's like a thriller and like supposed to be this like erotic thriller, but it has maybe the most unrealistic sequence of events in movie history. Mm-hmm. In the first 40 minutes, like I, I, I like 90% of the actions which were done as a response to the scenarios preceding them were things only a completely unhinged sociopath would do, in my opinion. Mm. And only one of the actors is supposed to be a complete unhinged sociopath. Not a good movie. Don't like. No. Down. Bad. Down on down. Yes. Okay. Uh, as far as horror movies that I watched to finish off the Halloween season, I'll just rip them off. Uh, Terrifier 2, Hell House 2, Prince of Darkness I rewatched, Halloween 2, of course the original Halloween rewatch, The Nun 2, which was a predictable C- minus for me. I did rewatch Halloween 6. I want to talk for a second about The Exorcist Believer. I, it's a C. It's a C movie. Like, yeah, I can't believe this is what Ellen Burson agreed to come back for, but... The kids are good. The girls are well acted well. Lydia Jewett and Nora Murphy, they do a great job of playing possessed. I think they do Linda Blair proud. The movie's fine. It's just not worth $400 million or $300 million. And if you have a legacy title like The Exorcist, you kind of can't make shit up as you go along in the sequel, like this Vapors thing that happens. I, I, I just, don't understand that. I, I just think expectations matter. They matter to people. Yeah, so, you're probably right. If you're going in for a big IP and you want, you want hollow, you know, something on the level of Halloween 2018, which for us was a, a very strong, mm-hmm. strong, you know, reboot quill. Like, that's what we want. Yeah, give 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 me give me something like that. Give me that. That is, I mean, would you have the same expectations if it wasn't called The Exorcist? Probably not. And this would have probably been where more well received it was just another exorcist movie rather than being the exorcist sequel yeah Yeah. um i finally got around to watching i see you which i realized i had halfway through i've never seen that halfway through it i realized oh i've seen this movie before (laughs) i've watched this previously (laughs) and just completely forgot about it but it's a solid b minus i liked it um i was also surprisingly high i mean it's a b minus grade for me but i was a higher on pain hustlers than i thought i would be really yeah, hey, I, I didn't mind it. Odd duck. <laughs> you want to watch the movies that film Twitter despises. And I, wanna... I mean, maybe it has to do with my expectations, like you said. Maybe contrarian. they beat them down. No, you're contrary. Right. I think that's what you are. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> the only other one I have, other than what we discussed uh, as far as Nyad quiz leading fingernails, uh, Evil Lurks here, which we talked about plenty on yeah. the scaries. Yeah, we did. Scaries were fun. Yeah, they were. That was a good episode. You should definitely go check that out if you haven't yet. We giggled like fools. (laughs) We had to get back in the swing of things. (laughs) We're back, baby. You should watch I See You, though. It's a good one. Yeah, it's been on my queue forever. Helen Hunt is good. You're not a Helen Hunt person, or are you? I mean, she's she's fine, but she's good in it. Mm -hmm. It's got a nice nice intrigue. Keeps Keeps you guessing. Good. Yeah. There you go. That's an Oscar race checkpoint. That it is. We did it. (laughs) We did it. Guys, as always, what matters most to us are your thoughts, comments, questions, uh, and concerns. Anything you have, you can tell us on our social medias for this episode or anything we do here in the MMO Empire. Uh, You can leave us those at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com or on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you listen to us on either the Apple Podcast or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, those help us out immensely. Thank you 
to everyone who has done so thus far. Uh, Michael, we have more on the horizon. Tell the good people what's coming next from us, and let's have some words of wisdom to end. Well, David Fincher made a movie. So when sure David did. Fincher makes a movie, <laughs> I think the mics of Oscar have to do a film study on it. I think that's the rule. Correct. In, in, in honor of his approach during every award season when, or when he doesn't win the award, we should just uh, take shots during a review of his movie one day. <laughs> we should. Every every loss, we should take a shot. Or every every time it's not nominated at this year's Oscars, we should take a shot. <laughs> Oscar morning. That reaction, show, that reaction show will proceed very differently. <laughs> I'm in. I will die. I don't do liquor anymore. No, I do not. I don't drink. <laughs> you don't drink at all. I do nice. I, I, I like two and a half to three Guinnesses. That's Just what I like. And I like doing once a week. Growing up on microphones. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe. I can't believe Andrea Riseborough got in again. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Where's what our we streaming about? award? We're doing the killer. We're doing a film yes. study on the killer, even though I reviewed it. Kind we of. We won't already. be drunk during it. No, we're not drunk. <laughs> When's the last time you've been drunk? Years, it's been right? It's been a while. Days body, for me. Body virgin- <laughs> hours even. <laughs> I don't puke when I drink. Puke when I don't. That's uh, that's. What movie is that? It's Kingpin. Kingpin. It's uh, Woody Harrelson. It's all come uh, undone. We made it an hour, and now we're Laughing done. about alcoholism. We're bad people, <laughs> just bad people. But, yeah, I mean, words of wisdom to go back to this is uh, drink responsibly, but also yes. unionize. Unionize. Union, unions are the way to go. Let's, Union uh, forever, let's, baby. Let's eat the rich. That's right. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come eat the rich with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to wake award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.